Yes, it's for the state for the week beginning Monday the 26th of October. My name's Jack Fisher and we're looking back on the week in the media and journalism. And really, there's only one thing we could talk about this week. Throughout the year, you'll have heard us talking about the small Pacific island nation of Nauru, where one of Australia's controversial immigration detention centres are located. And last year, Nauru lifted the price of a journalist's visa to $8,000, a fee that is non-refundable if the journalist's application is unsuccessful. Recently, both the ABC and Al Jazeera Television have revealed that their visa applications to go and report from Nauru were unsuccessful, and in both instances they received the same response, saying that all media application is not approved. It's not a good look for the freedom of the press. Last week, however, one Australian managed to travel to Nauru and report. Chris Kenny is a columnist for The Australian and host of Viewpoint on Sky News. He's also a former chief of staff to Malcolm Turnbull and, in his own words, a strong supporter of border protection and the offshore processing of asylum seekers. Chris was granted a journalist visa to Nauru and travelled there with a photographer where he reported over four days on the conditions faced by refugees who had been resettled there. And quite controversially, he spoke to a Somalian woman who has been referred to in the media as Abian, who was recently brought to Australia to receive an abortion. I spoke to Chris Kenny about his visit to Nauru, and he began by telling me how his application for a journalist visa came to be. Given my background in foreign affairs, given the fact that I've always strongly supported border protection and, uh, and offshore processing, I thought if... The Nauruan government were going to let anybody in. Uh, I thought perhaps someone like me might get in. So I, I started then trying to trying to let it be known that I'd, uh, I'd like to get up there. And, uh, you know, five or six months later, I was able to do that. What do you make of that whole system, though, that some people were being turned back and that you were permitted, um, as, as you say it, because of your support for border protection? Well, I don't know why I was allowed in. That's supposition on my part. Uh, but, I mean, I think what's very clear, and certainly I got this impression speaking to Nauruan politicians when I was up there from the president down, that they've been very wounded by the media coverage of Nauru. There's been a lot of coverage about this place as being a hellhole and a, a pile of guano in the Pacific and uh, that there's a rape culture there and a cycle of violence and all of this. You've seen it. Those sort of allegations are trumpeted uh, by the media incessantly and they're very wounded by that. They feel wounded as a country, as a society and as a people. But what I'm saying is I understand why the Nauruans are so sensitive but I think there's better way to, better ways to manage it. In other words, I think they should more, let more media in. Having said that, you've got to be very careful. You can't just allow too many media in and allow them just to run a mark. But on balance, you know, um, as I would uh, in any situation, I think transparency is key. And the more people see of it and the more people get to know about it and the more reassured we are about what's going on, the better for everyone. There's been scores of uh, allegations of sexual abuse and it's no wonder that uh, outlets such as the ABC and Al Jazeera, who are among two who have had their visa applications rebuked, uh, would try to go to Nauru. Why would they not be allowed in? Well, I think some of their reporting has been appalling. I, I, I can't speak for Al Jazeera. I don't watch their stuff much, uh, although I, I, I've been wary of some of their agendas overseas in the past. But, I mean, the ABC's reporting on border protection for years now has been completely tendentious uh, and jaundiced, uh, and, and they've been caught out promulgating uh, false information. Rather infamously, was it last, about early last year, I think it was, the ABC accused their own Navy of torturing asylum seekers, found to be baseless. Uh, and look, and they've been running a lot of allegations about Nauru. Only a couple of months ago, 
7.30 report ran uh, claims of, of a sexual assault in Nauru as fact. They were basically reporting it as fact, even though they weren't there. And they were supplied with, I think, quite an implausible story that an alleged rape victim actually, while she was ringing the police on her mobile phone for help minutes after the alleged rape, was filming herself ringing the police in a, with another mobile phone held in the other hand at the same time. Now, that's a, that, 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 that's a quite a remarkable and perhaps implausible story, yet the ABC just presented it as fact. No suggestion of scepticism, no contrary view. Now, the Nauruan police have investigated that allegation and say it's baseless. They say that that was a fabrication, there was no sexual assault, and it was, as they say, a set-up. Now, I'm just relaying to you the facts. I've obviously not investigated that allegation, that alleged sexual assault, but the Nauruan police have, and that's what they say. And so, therefore, they have, they've got an example there. That they've got an example there of the um, uh, ABC running an allegation which they say is false, and uh, and they've, they've had to deal with it. So, these are the difficulties they're up against. And um, you know, I think they've got to let the ABC in at some stage. But with that sort of background, they'd be a little bit um, suspicious, no doubt. Chris, did you have to pitch it to them? I mean, did you have to explain who you were and why that might make a difference? I've got a certain track record. Uh, I'm, I'm not interested in um, pursuing some ideological campaign against uh, border protection, which I think is a problem. I think most journalists in Australia seem to be um, ideologically opposed to tough border protection measures, campaigning against it. Certainly most of the reportage we get out of the ABC is effectively campaigning against policy. So, I mean, I think that's a problem. Nauru sees the media as uh, as uh, an enemy of the policy. Um, so, uh, I mean, I was happy to identify myself. I've written about this for, 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 for a decade and I've always supported strong policies. But like all Australians, I would abhor the fact, if it were the case, that any, anyone was being mistreated in the name of this country. So I wanted to get there and see what was going on uh, without, uh, without bashing any ideological drum against the policy. And uh, anyway, they, um, uh, they, they saw fit to, to, to let me up there. Now, uh, and I was given free reign. Uh, now, presumably, the Australian government was involved in approving my access to the uh, processing centre. I was centers, about to all, ask, yes. All three of them. But when we got there, there were a couple of uh, rules that applied. One was we could not photograph any staff members. Secondly, we could not photograph any um, asylum seekers, anyone who, who had, didn't have refugee status. But we could certainly talk to asylum seekers. I spoke to many of them, uh, but we, we weren't allowed to photograph them. But refugees, we could both speak to and photograph. And, and I spoke to staff members as well. We just uh, we just couldn't photograph them. So uh, and we had free reign around all those three centres and and had a great look around and sp- spoke to many many people and heard all their uh, personal stories of of trauma and and torment and and their pleas for help and some of their allegations about. Um, what they didn't like about the, uh, about the situation or, or the way things were run. And, of course, on the island, um, you know, we had a hire car and were able to go wherever we liked. We had some meetings that we were able to set up with the government, obviously, uh, to, to speak to the president and to the police commissioner and to the justice minister. In fact, the, the whole of the cabinet at one stage, I was able to sit down and have a chat with the whole of the cabinet and, um, and, and speak especially to the education minister. Um, um, so I'm going to did all that, but then you know, in all the other the other time, we were able to just wander around and speak to people at will, and it's quite extraordinary, really. I suppose um, um, it's not not what I expected to see, where you would just bump into 
refugees down the street. You would be served by refugees in shops. I, we, you know, we went to businesses, small businesses that are run by refugees. So, so uh, it was um, it was great to see all this in action and just get people's individual uh, responses. And of course, they varied enormously. But uh, what 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 is consistent, of course. Uh, whether you're speaking to uh, a refugee or an asylum seeker, whether they're from Myanmar, Iraq, uh, Iran or Sri Lanka, um, they might have different attitudes to exactly their current circumstances in terms of whether they're happy with their housing, in terms of whether they've got a job uh, uh, and those sorts of things. But where, of course, they're, they're uniformly consistent is none of them want to be in Nauru and all of them are enormously frustrated and tormented and and looking to to start their lives afresh somewhere else. You're listening to Fourth Estate. My name's Jack Fisher, and we're hearing from Chris Kenny, a columnist for The Australian, on his trip to the island of Nauru last week. Chris was the first Australian journalist in about 18 months to visit Nauru, and while he was there, Chris spoke to a woman known as Abian, who was 14 weeks pregnant when she was brought to Australia the week before to have an abortion. Abian is one of two Somalian women who claim to have been raped on Nauru. Abian requested an abortion around the beginning of September and was brought to Australia following a campaign to support her. But days after she arrived, Abian was suddenly returned to Nauru on a chartered jet at a cost of $100,000. The Immigration Minister Peter Dutton has said that Abian made it very clear after she was brought to Australia that she did not wish to proceed with the termination. That was the Friday before Chris Kenny visited Nauru, and I asked Chris how his trip happened to coincide with the current interest in Nauru and the case of Abian. Well, I don't know. That's just dumb, uh, uh, you know, dumb luck or, or, or misfortune, whichever way you look at it. But uh, I would have booked my uh, tickets probably a fortnight before that as well. But um, uh, so yeah, that happened uh, virtually while we were flying there. This uh, story was breaking that Abian was back in. Um, was back in uh, in Nauru. Um, I uh, obviously had noticed that story, given that uh, I've always followed border protection stories pretty closely, anyway. But I particularly noticed that, given that I was heading up there. And obviously, when uh, when we arrived, knowing that she was on the island, it was um, very important that we try and catch up with her. It would have been an abrogation of our responsibility as uh, uh, as media operatives, not to try and find her, um, make sure, uh, try and get, ascertain what her condition was, what, what, uh, how she was being treated, and whether she had anything to say. Obviously, we heard a lot of people speaking on her behalf, various uh, refugee advocates and lawyers, uh, government officials, government ministers. The person we hadn't heard from was the person that who who's actually making the calls, making the decisions, and and wanting the help. So. Um, so we found out where she lived, basically just asking uh, other refugees and knocked on her door and uh, and got her views uh, uh, directly from her, which I thought was uh, very, very important. And yet somehow, Chris, it's ended up with her seeking medical attention and complaining of the uh, the media attention that she'd gotten. Can I ask what you were trying to achieve in asking Abian, for instance, to provide details of the circumstances in which she says she was raped? Well, I've just explained to you that uh, it's very important in this issue that Abian's at the centre of, that she's given the chance to give us her version of events, her views firsthand. She chose to speak to me, and we spoke uh, about uh, the situation she was in, whether she wanted the abortion, uh, the fact that she was raped. She told me that she was raped. When I asked whether there's anything more she can tell me about that, when, where, or whether she knew whom, she um, said no, she didn't want to say anything more about that. So that's fine, that's her prerogative, but um, that's a very, very important question. And um, 
and uh, and that's how she chose to answer it. We've we've managed uh, at least through her her lawyer George Newhouse to get some sense of the stress that she's been under. Did that feel? Well, like- I think uh, I think I, I think I have a better idea of that, having met her and having been invited into her home and sat down with her. She's very stressed individual, very distressed. She's very confused. She's getting a lot of phone calls from Australia, a lot of advice from Australia, from refugee advocates and lawyers and the like, a lot of politics being played. And what Avia uh, needs to do, obviously that's not her real name, that's not the name I've used uh, when addressing her, but what she needs to do obviously is counsel uh, with uh, medicos and, uh, and, and other counsellors and work out exactly what she needs to do, what she wants to do from a medical point of view. And uh, hopefully that's what she's doing, hopefully free from the meddling of various Australian advocates and lawyers. Okay, Chris, but in two, it seems, quite brief encounters, you've asked her to delve into what is basically an unimaginably harrowing experience. I mean, and then she has complained about the media scrutiny. Well, you say she's complained, and uh, we, we know that... Well, that's uh, what you've reported. She went, we, we, yeah, we know that she went to the uh, hospital uh, that afternoon. But I'm, I can tell you, when, when uh, after her meeting with me and inviting me into her house, she was certainly less distressed than when I met her, and there was nothing untoward. We had a very, very... A clear conversation. Her uh, roommate, uh, also a Somalian woman with slightly better English, was there as well. Um, so, look, my, my I don't have any proof of this, but my supposition is that she would have been advised by her Australian uh, uh, political advisers, the uh, refugee advocates, to, to go and make a song and dance about this at the, at the medical centre because she didn't stay there long and she was home. I saw her the next day at her home and, and she was... She was again uh, well, but uh, but feeling uh, distressed again, of course, because the police had just been there. She's in a very, very difficult position, and people in that position should be allowed to make up their own minds and do what they want. And they're also entitled to speak for themselves. Now, no one forces Abiyan to speak to me. She chose to speak to me. And as I said, I, I ask these sensible questions, the questions that anybody has duty-bound to ask, and the, the, those that she didn't want to answer, she, she chose not to answer. So... Um, I'm very, very comfortable with what I did. In fact, I think I did her a great service by getting her views directly out to the public, unfiltered by refugee advocates or politically activist lawyers or government ministers or government operators, uh, exactly what she said and what she wants, importantly. She was able to tell Australia and uh, the world through me what she wants, and and that's what's important here. That Abian gets the treatment she wants, uh, and isn't uh, isn't forced to dance to anybody else's tune. Now, in an editorial, your newspaper, The Australian, has accused other journalists of having sour grapes, basically. And there's no doubt that you've got access to Nauru that is the envy of many journalists. And your revelation that Abian still wants to terminate her pregnancy is, um, as The Australian calls it, a scoop. But is it fair to say that other journalists have sour grapes when they're coming up against this apparently arbitrary ban on entry where some are being told all media access is not allowed? It's rather a sour situation on the whole, don't you think? Well, I mean, what other journalists uh, you know, feel uh, doesn't, doesn't interest me. And, and what someone calls a scoop that doesn't interest me either. I mean, I, I was going there to actually look up to what's happening on Nauru. The, the, the story of Abiyan was an unwanted diversion for me, but it's one I couldn't ignore while I was on the island. I would have been roundly condemned and certainly wouldn't have been living up to any semblance of being a journalist if I'd been on the island and not tried to speak to her. But, um, I mean, really, what, what other journalists think... Uh, uh, often just baffles and bemuses me. They're a, they're a funny lot as a whole uh, because, uh, uh, you know, 
everyone's been wanting to know what's happening on Nauru, what's going on in Nauru. They, I would have thought that they'd be most interested in what, I've, what information I've been able to extract and what my photos and videos and interviews and, and reports have relayed about Nauru. I would have thought most journalists would be interested in that, not some insider game as to you know whether someone's jealous of someone else going or not. You know, I would have thought most journalists, uh, if they were keen to find out the facts, would be looking at what I've reported and perhaps using that to try and leverage their own claims to get in. It's sort of outrageous on the whole. This hike up to $8,000 for a, a non-refundable <coughs> journalist visa... It, it's it's a serious wall that they're coming up against. Hi, uh, look, I've just told, I've just been talking to you. I, I don't approve of it. You know, I don't run the government of Nauru. I don't approve of it. I don't think that they should be blocking all journalists from going in there. <clears throat> and I've uh, I've explained to you why. But I also understand how that's come about. <clears throat> I understand why they're so sensitive. But I'm saying, and I've written it publicly, and they'll be reading that in Nauru. The government will be reading what I've written, no doubt. And uh, excuse me. <coughs> And I've said very clearly that I think they would be best served, as well as, of course, transparency overall and and uh, and the public interest um, of both the refugees and Australian taxpayers. But also, Nauru's best interests would all be served if they had more transparency and if they allowed more journalists in. Chris, my last question, as well as Al Jazeera and Late Line, journalists uh, Wendy Bacon and former Western Australian Labor leader Carmen Lawrence, they've crowdfunded the fees to get them as journalists to Nauru. Have you got any tips for them or any other journalists out there on how they can get their applications approved to go to Nauru and report? Well, you know, I'd, I'd look at it the other way around. I'd just be saying if I was Nauru, I'd be doing everything I could to get reputable, straightforward, objective reporters in, not the likes of Wendy Bacon and, and those types who are just going to be there on some sort of a mischievous campaign. You want people to go there to do some straight reporting, and that's why I think Nauru should actually change its policies. That's Chris Kenny, who is the first Australian journalist to be granted a journalist visa to report from Nauru in around 18 months. You're on Fourth Estate. My name's Jack Fisher, and joining me in the studio is Max Chalmers, journalist with New Matilda. Max, you've covered the case of Abian recently, and like every other journalist uh, in Australia, you've done so from here in Australia. What did you make of Chris's choice to try to speak with Abian and to question her on the circumstances of her alleged rape? Well, I think the first thing is uh, it is fair to say that there were some interesting revelations from that interview. It was important to learn, um, as we did through that reporting, that IBM was still searching for a termination. That was an important development in the story. Um, but uh, there have been pretty serious questions raised about how that was done. Just from the, the very start point, when you're uh, reporting cases that potentially involve sexual assault and rape, obviously... Uh, you have to pay a lot of attention to the potential victim or survivor in the case. Um, that is a person who is potentially extremely vulnerable um, to abuses from the media as well as to um, reliving the trauma, really, as a result of interviews. It's an area of reporting which is incredibly difficult and requires great sensitivity at the best of times, especially in a case like this that comes to national attention. Um, there were, as you, most people would probably know by now, allegations made that Kenny sort of barged in and didn't consult properly and forced an interview. Uh, Pamela Kerr, who's a refugee activist in Australia, says that she was actually on the phone, and that I think that this has been confirmed by Kenny, she actually spoke to him on the phone in Arbyn's room, um, which is a pretty amazing and bizarre situation. But she alleges that he made her partake in the interview and she didn't want to. He's he's denied that. It's, it's a little bit hard to know of, from this situation who's, um, who's got a more accurate account there. But... Um, I would say that generally it's an area that requires great sensitivity reporting. So 
hopefully he did ex- show that and, and was invited to do the interview rather than force it. Now, the Australian in their editorial has said that journalists who are critical of Chris Kenny right now have sour grapes, essentially, that they're jealous that they didn't get to go to Nauru themselves. Is that fair? Look, I thought it was interesting just in those sound grabs before that Chris said he's not interested in this being a scoop. That was certainly the way the Australian played it. They they called it a scoop, and, and as you said, they said everyone, you know, this is not about ethics. It's not about ethics and journalism. It's not about that discussion. It's actually just everyone um, having competitive anger because we got the story that they couldn't get. Now, that may be true in some cases. I don't know. Maybe there are journalists out there who are upset that they didn't get the story. But this is a story which is is so personal and so devastating. And I think it has moved many, many Australians, even those who potentially don't follow this area of policy that closely. It's been a very upsetting story. This is not an, a story where you need a, a scoop. It's not the way you should be thinking about reporting in this area. It's It's... Uh, an area that you should be thinking about, what's the most humane and ethical way to report. I think most journalists, the reason they're pissed off is because they know that for political reasons and for reasons of press censorship, they've not been allowed to travel to Nauru. And it's not just uh, it's not just the Australians, it's not just, sorry, not just the ABC or outlets even that have done anything particularly to provoke the Nauruan government. It's really everybody. Now, Chris, you heard say he understands the Nauruan government in their decision to basically allow their favourite journalists to be allowed into the country, essentially the journalists who are least critical of Australia's immigration detention system. Is that any defensible position for a journalist to take? Um, It's incredible to me that anyone who calls themselves a journalist would ever defend a state anywhere in the world, uh, choosing which journalists or what kind of media it would allow to flourish or to enter the country. That should never be up to the judgment of the government. Um, As long as all other visa applications go smoothly, journalists should be allowed to travel freely, to report freely, um, especially in areas like Nauru, which have become black sites, which um, effectively are unseen, and areas where there are serious allegations, um, which have been substantiated not just by reporting, but by government reports in Australia and Nauru, um, of abuse and... Um, of mistreatment of, of asylum seekers and refugees. So, no, um, it's, a, it's a strange thing to even... You know, he said he, he didn't try and justify it exactly. He said, I, I understand. I don't understand at all, um, except for the obvious selfish reasons, which is the Nauruan government does not want to invite scrutiny. Um, it certainly should not have the right to reject journalists based on their political views or their reporting. You followed Chris's coverage from Nauru. The picture he paints is not of an island paradise by any means. Are there things you liked about Chris's coverage? Yeah, that, that was that was one interesting thing to see from it, um, that, you know, as we've seen a little bit more on Manasan, because journalists have are able to get to Manus a little more frequently, um, what you see is the grey coming through, you know, the complexities, the... the the differing views, you know, asylum seekers and refugees are not a homogenous group. As individuals, they've had different experiences, they have different views. Some of them will have an experience in even in offshore detention, which potentially is, is, is better than what they were facing. They may even not be upset about it. Most, that's probably not the case, but, you know, there are complexities. And I liked that he did actually, obviously, take the effort to talk to refugees and asylum seekers on the island, as well as locals, and, and give them a bit of a voice through the coverage. That's something that we really, really miss out on by not being able to go to Nauru. Um, that said, there were, I think, gaps there, which I, I don't understand why his reporting left. Um, specifically, uh, the, I mean, he talked about the perception of, of Nauru and that um, gave gave platform to the Nauruan president, Baron Waka, to express his view that uh, there is a prejudice against Nauruans. In fact, there are serious questions about the Nauruan government, including the president and the justice minister, um, both of whom are under a serious cloud for shutting down not just freedom of the press in Nauru, but general democratic procedure, um, as well as serious allegations of bribery, which they've never answered to. It doesn't appear that he was uh, especially hindered, um, not by Australian authorities, in 
in his visit to Nauru. Did that surprise you at all? I mean, the thing which I probably should have prefaced in regards to the last question was that, of course, Chris Kenny does work at The Australian. He was also a former chief of staff to Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, and he was literally a spinner for the Liberal Party. He was a media handler. So, you know, this is not someone who is coming from a totally independent background. He says he doesn't, he's not ideological about the policy area. I think he is, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think journalists from either side of the spectrum who are ideological about um, Australia's so-called border security um, policies should be able to visit Nauru and report freely. Um, but, I mean, I, it seems a little bit strange that he didn't go near some of those tougher political questions. Um, and, I, and I think that, to get back to your question, um, there I would love to, to know whether his political connections played any role in him getting a visa. I'm certainly not suggesting they, they are, but it, it is a little bit interesting that the one person... The, and, and, you know, he said journalists have been able to get onto the island generally. That's not true. He's the only one in about the last 18 months, um, except for, I think, another Russian journalist who lied and, and didn't know and knew who he was. Um, but, you know, the only person who's been allowed on the island is someone with very close connections to the Australian government um, who support the Nauruan government, support um, the policies of offshore detention and processing. So I think that's I think it's not unfair to assume that's part of the answer. I don't, you know, we don't know for sure, but I'd love to, to ask Chris that. One thing Chris said there was that he felt most Australian journalists are, in fact, ideologically opposed to offshore processing of asylum seekers and are, in fact, campaigning on the issue. Is that a fair characterization at all? Well, if Chris thinks that, he must not read his own newspaper very much or any News Corp um, papers. There are you know, this is an issue that splits the Australian media. We can be honest about it. Outlets like New Matilda and independent outlets, as well as more left-leaning outlets like The Guardian, have sought to report more heavily from an asylum seeker refugee perspective to try and um, document alleged abuses and, and have done quite a good job of getting actual, you know, government documents um, exposing the levels of abuse in these centres. Um, and that's been the focus of their reporting. Other outlets like The Australian have um, focused more on sort of from the government's perspective and um you know that's the way the australian media ideologically aligns there's nothing to surprise me about the abc i thought it was interesting that he criticized the abc so heavily the abc i think get a bit stuck in the middle um they want to report robustly they know that this is an area that if they do they'll particularly come under the scrutiny of the government so i think sometimes they're actually a little bit inhibited that's all we've got time for this week on Fourth Estate. We've heard from Chris Kenny, columnist for The Australian and the first Australian journalist to visit Nauru in 18 months. And with me in the studio, Max Chalmers, journalist with New Matilda. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, you can check out our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. My name's Jack Fisher, and we'll be back with you at the same time next week. Next week.